This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are. Even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com slash smart. Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I am Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to Leading from the Front. Today's guest is the CEO and managing partner of Capital Innovators, which provides seed funding, investment opportunities, branding, talent attraction, and more in the technology, consumer products, and energy technology industries for startups. She also is the founder and CEO of Bride and Groom Magazine, the founder and former CEO of Overseas Colorworks and Printing, an international marketing and print brokerage management company, and founder and former CEO of Redesign, a real estate development company. That, that's, that's a lot of CEOs. So presently with Capital Innovators, she applies her extensive background in business and strategic development to select early stage companies that possess a high probability of success and then provides these companies with a mentorship program that accelerates the profitability and growth for the purpose of wealth building and long-term sustainability. I'm going to be interested in hearing about that idea of long-term sustainability on today's podcast. See, Capital Innovators Accelerator Program has been ranked as a top accelerator for the past five years helping more than 120 startups. In other words, Judy Sizakus, CEO and managing partner of Capital Innovators, helps high potential startups succeed. Welcome to Leading from the Front, Judy. Thank you for having me. It is my pleasure. You've had a lot of CEO experience, which I'm going to guess really fits in well with the things that you do with capital innovators and selecting companies because you've run a lot of companies. That's right. That's actually how I fell into what I'm doing now was uh, looking backwards at all of the different companies I had started from scratch and grown and then trying to apply all of that forward looking. Let's talk about that background. There's a lot going on there. So uh, talk to me about how you got started in all this. Um, Well, you know, it kind of starts back uh, pretty early on. Uh, From an education standpoint, I went to SMU and got a degree in mechanical engineering and math and then went straight to Harvard Law School. When I graduated from there, I went to practice law in a large law firm, and I made it almost an entire year as an attorney (laughs) before (laughs) I I got an idea for a business, and I left the practice of law to start the business. But that was not my first business. My first business, I started when I was in college, and I sold it to go to law school. Wow. And what was that that business? (laughs) That very first one, well, little known fact about me was in 1982, I was Missouri's Miss Teen. That led to, after I 
did my year as Missouri Miss Teen, um, I started franchising local pageants that fed into the Missouri pageant. And so I worked with the owner of the Missouri pageant franchise to create St. Louis, Springfield, and Kansas City, Missouri franchises. So you were an entrepreneur right from the beginning. That's right. Wow. (laughs) I didn't know. You know, it's kind of funny you broke that up. It's funny. I remember being way back in fifth grade and being asked uh, as part of a classroom project, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I remember saying, I want to be an entrepreneur. Wow. And they said, what kind of entrepreneur? And I was stumped because I didn't really know what the word meant. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It sounded like a cool word. Uh, So it's funny that I did end up being one. Now I know what it means. (laughs) Well, actually, yeah, I say being one and being many. I mean, you've been an entrepreneur many times. And it's interesting with a lot of entrepreneurs and people. I have a degree in mechanical engineering. And I was just talking to uh, another woman entrepreneur this week who has a degree in mechanical engineering. And it's interesting how many engineers end up becoming entrepreneurs in different fields because engineering teaches us to problem solve. And, and then go on. But I don't know too many that then uh, sell a business or build a business or make a bunch of money so they can go to Harvard Law School. That's an interesting <laughs> step. Yeah. Yeah. Quite an experience. Yes, it was. Okay. So you started your franchise business with the local pageants. When you think back on that, what, what are some of the things that you learned back then that you still apply today? The things that you think about either through mistakes or whatever, what did you learn that are still helping you today? Wow. I think probably the work ethic piece of it. One of the things I like to say is a lot of people who are hugely successful will humbly say it was luck or it was timing. And and, and whereas I understand what they're saying, because maybe you were lucky enough to have created your business at a particular moment in time where you were able to take off, or maybe you sat next to somebody on a plane that really helped make a contact for you. So I understand what people are saying then. But at the end of the day, if you put in hard enough work, you will be successful. You may not be wildly successful. But you will be successful. So the the luck piece of it might be the difference in gradation. But if you work hard enough, I can guarantee you success. And I think that's what I learned way back when I was still very young. Don't you think it's not just the hard work and whether things go well or not, but along the way, figuring out what works and what doesn't work and being able to adjust quickly? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I mentioned things that are lucky, like the timing or, or meeting somebody. I mean, the reality is, and, and it's true, I know it's a phrase that probably an overused phrase of making your own luck. But if you go sit on a plane and the first thing you do is put on your headphones and turn on your Netflix, you're not going to pe- meet the person sitting next to you. So you're not going to get lucky by sitting next to the right person on a plane. Maybe you did get lucky and you didn't know it because you didn't take advantage of it. So yeah, it it is learning how to maneuver in the world in order to find success for yourself. Well, I think that's a a great point that you make and about people that are really committed to entrepreneurship is they're always on, right? They they don't put the headphones on. They don't they they look at everybody that they sit next to as an opportunity to meet somebody. And who who knows? Who knows what's gonna happen? And to say it was luck, but it was the 1,042nd person they've met in the last three years <laughs> that they've talked to, right? But it was the hard work of talking to the other thousand people before you got there. 
It's so true. In fact, Angela Duckworth's book on grit talks about success is, is connected only to hard work. All other things can be different, but if you don't work hard, you're never going to make it. I love her book. I've given it to both my kids. Yep. Great stuff. Passion and perseverance. So let's let's fast forward a little bit. You started a franchise. You go to law school. You go. You did that for a year. So you figured you. I got that. I, I got the law <laughs> thing. And I, I'm assuming you started another business. I did. I started Bride and Groom Magazine. Oh, interesting. And what? How did you just decide to start a magazine? I was planning my own wedding and billing every six minutes of my time at the same time. And uh, and I found that incredibly difficult. I don't mean to age myself, but this was all very much pre-internet. And the only thing you really had to help you plan your wedding was the yellow pages. Because frankly, at the time, there were national magazines, but not regional magazines. And the national magazines were more like dress catalogs. They could help you pick out a dress, a china pattern, or a honeymoon. But those are the only three aspects of a wedding that are national in scope. Everything else, uh, who does wedding flowers, who bakes wedding cakes, where can you have a wedding if you don't belong to a church, who's going to do your catering, who's going to be the band, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Those are all local in nature. And at the time, there was nobody or no thing out there to help me plan a wedding. And I figured out why that was, or I assumed why that was. And it's because at the time I was doing this, it was when women were first really starting to work and hanging on to their careers through the marriage. And a lot of them were living and getting married in a city that is not where they grew up. So they didn't necessarily have the help of their mother, their sister, their aunt, or uh, longtime friends to help them plan a wedding. They didn't know their town and they were having to devote time to their careers. And so it was clear to me why nothing existed when I went looking for it. And uh, I realized that the need was great. And so I came up with the idea of having a regional bridal publication. Well, that's interesting when you think of the connection of all the dots that you had to do with the demographics and the shift to women going into the workforce to the moving to other cities in order and, and needing to plan all that and the lack of resources to do that. So you created a magazine. That's not a normal thought pattern when somebody is working on a time job and billing out six every six minutes. I'm assuming you're referring to when you were a lawyer. Yes. And trying to plan a wedding. And at the same time in the background, your brain is going, huh, maybe there's a there's a need here. <laughs> that's that's pretty remarkable. It's not it's not a normal thing, Judy. <laughs> it feels normal to me. You know, I- that's One of right. the things I tell students all the time, because there's so many students now that want to be entrepreneurs, right? And so they sit around and they try to think of a business. And I say, that's the wrong approach. You need to go pursue a passion, live your life. And when you're presented with a problem that is driving you insane, so much so that you have to figure out a solution for it, you figure out a great solution for yourself. And then you figure out if other people are having the same problem and would pay for the solution that you've come up with. That's your business. You don't just go and think up a business out of thin air, at least not not usually. That's not going to be what's going to be most successful. Yeah, that's that's great advice for entrepreneurs to think about. My son uh, uh, sold his business last year and it was about the fifth one that he had. 
as he was going through a process of he's tried an organic drink and he tried a platform tennis repair and uh, maintenance. And he tried, you know, a couple other things and he finally came on one that was really good. But each one of those businesses taught him something. I'm, I'm going to guess that each one of the, from the franchise business that you started yeah, all the way through, each one of those has taught you things that have brought you today to be able to assess successful companies or potentially unsuccessful companies, which I would think is just as important as what, knowing which ones not to invest in. With all these businesses that you look at today and the experiences you've had in all the businesses that you've built There's a lot of things that you've learned as an entrepreneur and watching entrepreneurs. What are some of the things that you look for in companies to invest in or help consider to be part of capital innovators because you see indications that they're the right fit, the right kind of company? And what do you look for that you want to stay away from beyond just the profitability? I mean, money is a great thing, but there's more to it than that. Right. I think it begins with the founder. And like we've already talked about with the book that you mentioned, I'm really looking at a founder or for a founder that is filled with passion and perseverance. Uh, really, the title of the book, Grit. A lot of times people will ask me, we, we should come up with a way to give somebody a grit test so that we can make sure that you have the grit that we need for you to persevere through the ups and downs and challenges that our, uh, every entrepreneur faces. Uh, But I'm really looking for somebody that has a lot of passion about that business, who sees it as their whole life. Um, One of the things I've told founders before is I really don't want to hear about your struggles with work-life balance, because if you're a truly successful entrepreneur, your hobby is your business. That is how you relax. At the end of your regular workday, you like to spend time on your business and thinking about your business and figuring out what you're going to do tomorrow or next week or next year. It's living and breathing this thing as if it were your child. Yeah, that, that's a great point. So you could you could ask people when you're sitting in front of the TV, like I do, with my laptop in my in my lap, watching a movie and do it, looking at email and seeing if anything's coming in that I might be able to handle or moving five, you know, doing some administrative work that I don't want to have to do that at my desk during a normal part of the day because I'm engaged with people, right? So, yeah, it really does become your passion. And beyond passion, and, and that is really the stick to right? The perseverance and really helping people understand what that means. I can remember the first time I started my first business, I remember thinking, gee, I've worked really hard in the past. I'm a hard worker. I was taught to be a hard worker. But what I didn't realize is when you have your own business, You have to work as hard as necessary, harder than I'd ever worked before and beyond. And I didn't just do my best. I did whatever was necessary. And it's a whole nother level. Right. You know, it's funny when I was working at the law firm and billing that every six minutes of my time. uh, And that's really hard to do. Anybody that's that's done that knows how stressful and challenging that is. And if you go to the bathroom, you're kind of bummed because like you got to stay later that day to make your billable hours. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) it's a horrible way to live. Um, But I remember I was working super long hours, like 60 hours a week just to make my time. And I was so frustrated, uh, you know, 25 years old and working that hard. 
And all I could think was, I've got to have something different. And so when I started that business and started working 80 to 100 hours a week, (laughs) I was actually so much happier. I mean, I was was working so hard as an attorney, but I was working even harder and even more hours on my business. But I was so much happier because I was doing something that I enjoyed, something that was for me. Like I said, it's like your child. Your your company is like your child. You need to care about it that much. Well, I, I mentioned when we started talking earlier today about Martin Seligman's five areas of happiness. And one of those five is engagement. And how he defines engagement is the ability to be able to be working on something and lose track of time. And that's just what you're talking about. Because 80, 100, I have no idea how many hours I work. I do, I do know that I do something every single day. Some days there's a lot more time that I de- dedicate to it than others, but I, I work almost every single day, but it doesn't feel that way because I, I get an idea and I just do it. So engagement is a really important part of understanding an entrepreneur's uh, perception of time. And I think that's what you're talking about is they don't really, how much do you work? You go, I don't know. I work as much as I need to work to be able to achieve the result and then keep working. <laughs> So one of my favorite questions, and you've got a lot of experience, you could probably write several letters going back and we won't say how many years because we've already covered that part of it. But if you could write a letter to yourself back 15, 20, 25 years, and you could say, hey, Judy, pay attention to this or work a little bit more on that. What would it be? What would you tell yourself? Probably two things. The one that strikes me the most right now at the, uh, you know, at the stage of the life that I'm in now is I would tell myself to relax. You got this. Quit worrying so much. Uh, Although I will say that worry has been a real driver for me. So maybe maybe not worrying wouldn't be the best way to go. Rather embrace the worry. Don't let that be a negative emotion have the worry about how something's going to go be a positive emotion. That's what's driving you. But, but know at the end of the day that you got this. I think when you get to a certain stage in your life and you've been through as many ups and downs as I've had through all the different companies, uh, that when something's not going exactly the way you planned or the way you would like, it's not the end of the world. You just need to get yourself together and figure out a new path to take. The other thing is, and this is probably back from my youngest self, is just really trying to get myself to understand you don't know what you don't know. And confidence is important. It's huge. It's an incredible balance, I think, that an entrepreneur has to have this confidence in their idea and their business combined with, but I don't really know much about the world. I don't really know everything I need to know in order to make the right decisions and be willing to go seek advice and listen to it. I take way more advice now. And presumably, I'm so much smarter. (laughs) I have experienced so many more things than when I was young and I wasn't taking advice. (laughs) It's so true because we know more as we get older. Well, first of all, we're willing to admit that we don't know. Right. And when we're, when we're younger, I, I talk to people about the mindset on this all the time. Our educational mindset is you're supposed to know all the answers and try to get 100%. So think about from the time we're in kindergarten to the time you go all the way through law school, you're supposed to have the answers. 
or at least a certain percentage of the answers in order to get a grade to pass. If you can be 75 or 80 percent of the time right in the time in a business, you're going to be a superstar, <laughs> you know. Right. You know, and we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to think we got to be at 100. percent We got to be 100. percent No, you don't. What you need to do is have a process where the team gets it 100 percent of the time. Right. And if we can create a process with the team to get 100 percent, then you've got a high probability of success. So I wanted to share with you a, a quote because this is one of my favorites. I've been saying this a lot with people around this uh, challenging times that we've had, and this is by. Uh, Mikel de Montagna, and years ago, he said, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. <laughs> There's the worry. <laughs> There's the worry. There's the worry. And I, I understand the drive. And a lot of high performing people were very self-critical, which can be destructive to a certain level. And worry can be destructive to a certain level. But there is a certain level of healthy worry and healthy self-criticism. So don't worry so much. And, uh, and I, I also put to what you talked about is believe in yourself. I think that though, when we're young, we don't have enough experience to even have that belief yet. You got to build some scars. Yeah, I, I don't know that that's something that maybe has come natural to me, or maybe that's something I'm missing, whichever way you want to look at it. But when I look at the different businesses that I've started, you know, I didn't have any expertise in publishing whatsoever. And certainly not in planning a wedding. That's the whole reason why I found it a challenge to plan my wedding. Uh, But but that didn't stop me from going out and pursuing an idea. And and that's the way it's been in everything I've started. I haven't really known how to do what it is I do. But I look at anything, you know, when people say it's not rocket science or it's not brain surgery. And I think, yeah, neither one of those scares me either. Anything can be learned. So, so the idea, I don't ever look at myself and think I can't learn how to do something. For some people, that's a, a gene that they just don't have because that truly is the mindset of an entrepreneur. And I loved what you said earlier. The advice is just go out and try something. Don't, don't sit around and try to think up an idea. Go out and try something because whatever happens, you're going to learn from it. And then research shows that entrepreneurs, business startups go bankrupt three and a half times before they find a business that's successful. So most people, they, they fail a lot. And if you, if you want to uh, become an entrepreneur and learn quickly, fail a lot by the time you're 30, <laughs> right? Then start a family, but wait, wait till then. So that's what my son did. So anyway, tell me a little bit about what you're looking for in companies beyond the passion and perseverance. Somebody might have passion and perseverance. They might have that. But when you look at a company to invest in, especially from a leadership standpoint, what are the red flags for you? Well, I don't, I don't know that I look for red flags. I tell people all the time that help me vet companies. I say, look, it's easy to find a reason not to invest. That doesn't take any skill at all. What takes skill is to look for a reason to invest. Okay. It's how do you believe, you know, what is the potential hmm. of this business and so, so I kind of want to address your que- your question in two ways. One is just very directly uh, for anybody that might be interested in applying to Capital Innovators. So for that reason, I want to answer it directly. We're looking for companies that can scale. There's, there's all different kinds of businesses. Your son was involved in some, right, that aren't really scalable businesses. Or that, I mean, I'm not saying they can't grow. I'm just saying scale massively so that there's enough money to be made there to 
pay off all of the investors who have given me their money to invest through the funds. And uh, and so I'm definitely looking for that. I need to make sure that uh, the how the world tends to be moving in whatever particular industry that that company is in, that they're in sync or have the ability to twist and turn with what can be a fickle society. And so I'm looking for that. But but that's not red flags. I, I think what, I, what I'd really like to talk about is looking at the potential. And you mentioned teams earlier. I would love to talk about teams as a leader, as how do you lead teams? And I think it's so important to look at people's potential and to see a person that's on your team or that you're thinking about hiring, not as what they are, but who they can be. And so it's the same thing with the business. And I tell people when they're pitching their businesses all the time, I go, you should talk in present terms. Don't talk about what your business is going to be in three years. Envision what your business is going to be in three years and then talk about it like that's where it's at right now. Because that is your business. That's what you're building. So you're not going to talk about, like if you're building a house, you're not going to talk about the cement slab on the ground. You're going to talk about the house that's going to be built. You're going to say it has two stories and, you know, a three-car garage. Uh, So I think we need to be really focused on that potential and really nurturing the company and your team to meet that potential. Yeah. So I think that if I dig into that a little bit, when you look at companies, you're going to look at the team to determine whether they even have the capability to scale, to grow, to have the skills and the vision to be able to go forward into the future. Because if they don't, then they're definitely not going to succeed. But you've got to find some people on that team that at least think that way, right? Yeah. But you know, it's interesting. I have maybe an outlier's way of looking at the team building process. One of the things I learned early on when I was hiring people, and and I have stuck to this like crazy. One, the, the main thing is, is I don't hire somebody to be on my team for any of my businesses based on their knowledge or experience. I hire based on personality. And one of the things I can say about capital innovators is by and large, I hire people out of my intern pool, people who have worked for me for free first. Those are the people that are most passionate about what I'm doing. And so those are the ones where I can count on them to consider this company like their own baby. They're so passionate about being in this space. Uh, but but the whole by, uh, hiring based on personality rather than on experience, like, like I said before, you know, I eat my own dog food. So I say, you can learn anything. If I can hire the right personality, they can be taught anything. I remember way back with Bride and Groom Magazine, one of my very favorite art directors came to me and she said, I don't know anything about art direction. My sister's an art director. She's the one that suggested I come and apply. I don't know anything about it. I was a reporter in Corpus Christi and I don't want to be a reporter anymore because you're ready for this. She was being told she had to sleep with people in order to get places, right? And she's like, I just can't do that anymore. I want to come work for a woman. And this sounds nice. And I thought she had the greatest personality in the world. She had no clue how to be an art director. But she goes, I'll take classes. I'll do whatever it takes. So I hired her. She wanted to learn. Right. And she taught herself how to do everything in about six weeks time, you know, the basics. And by the end of six months, she was a pro. And I had hired one of my very best art directors ever. So I I just totally believe in building a team based on culture and personality 
and everybody can learn, you know, you got to get people that are confident and willing to learn, but people can learn their roles. Yeah. So you, under personality, you're really looking at those values of somebody that wants to learn, somebody that wants to work, somebody that believes in themselves enough to say, I can learn this. I don't know how to do it now, but I can learn. That's right. And, uh, and that, that goes to mindset, uh, by Carol, Carol Dweck's work on mindset, uh, with the, in the school systems, they don't give F's out anymore. When I tell people that they don't give F's out, they say, well, if they flunk, they flunk, they go, they don't give them an F, they give them a not yet. And they, they haven't, they haven't mastered it yet. So they have to learn. Okay. Not yet. So it's kind of, it's a great way of thinking about growth and, and learning as opposed to just accepting that there is a way of doing this. You got to go to school and you got to spend, you know, X number of years. Experience is not, experience is not, that was my dog's foot uh, uh, running around here in my office. Uh, experience is not an indication of what people are going to do in the future. Right. So I, 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 I get that. You know, we could talk for hours because uh, my whole business and the reason I do it the way I do it, Judy, is I, for six years, was working at the Covey Leadership Center, Blanchard Training Development, delivering their products. And I realized I was going to be doing that the rest of my life unless I had my own product, got a terminal degree, did the other things that I need to do to be in this kind of leadership development business and went out and got my degree and have designed a nine-month intense leadership development program that now I've got five or six people delivering that they're all like 1099s, but they, they're team members. They're, we call them statarians. We're all statarians. And the amount of extra effort they put in for quote-unquote contracted employees, they've all proven to me the level of commitment, the passion, the perseverance they have for doing what we do in terms of leadership development. And it's the same kinds of things that you look for in companies. It's kind of cool. I, like I said, we could talk for hours about this stuff. It's really great. So let's, uh, let's wrap this thing up if we would, uh, Judy, and, and tell me if you would, if there's uh, uh, a summary of things that you would like to tell entrepreneurs today. What, what is one of the, you've told already about passion, perseverance, and grit. You've talked about, you know, having something that's sellable, obviously. Is there anything else that you would suggest to people that, that are presently entrepreneurs trying to scale, trying to build their business, working hard, any suggestions, thoughts, recommendations, advice, coaching, or mentoring that you might have? Being a leader of, of a young company or any, any kind of leader, I think, is probably a really lonely position. It can be. There will be a lot of challenges that you're facing that maybe you don't want to share with your team. Maybe if you go home and try to share it with your spouse, maybe he or she doesn't really understand enough or they're really swamped with stress of their own. Or, or maybe you don't want to burden them with something huge that's going on at work. So, so having a confidant to go to that is unrelated to you and your business, but who understands who all the players are and all the situations, I just think is invaluable. Mm-hmm. And if you can find a person, I, you know, I, I found somebody and I keep him up to date even during my good times when I don't need somebody. I keep him up to date on what's going on because I never know when I'm going to need advice from this person. And and frankly, the advice isn't necessarily coming from a place of wisdom or experience from him. It's more him just listening to me and knowing me and how I like to run things and, and what I like to look at 
and almost like a therapist getting me to ask the right questions of myself. So he's been great. If you don't have somebody like that or can't start developing somebody like that, there are groups that you can join. The EO, it's called the Entrepreneurs Organization. There's uh, several other paid groups. I don't want to start promoting, you know, different ones, but you can look them up like Vistage is one. Um, There's several where CEOs that don't compete with each other uh, all come together on some sort of regular basis in order to talk about their problems. And I just think that's a really huge thing that you can do. It's it's almost like a a study group (laughs) from college. Um, And I think it's really necessary when you're young and going after it. Again, you feel what it is. Maybe it's the maybe it's a lack of confidence that makes you not want to go ask for advice. You know that you're supposed to appear confident. So it may feel like, wait, she's giving me two different pieces of of advice. She's telling me I have to really appear confident and like I've got this. And then at the same time, I'm supposed to be asking for advice and seeking out help. And how do those two things jive together? And I agree that does feel like uh, that's hard to jive together. But if you go outside of your circle in order to get your advice, I think you'll feel more comfortable. It, you won't feel quite so exposed. And so so that would be something that I would really suggest everybody look into. That That is some great advice. We, we run into this with the work that we do with CEOs, presidents of companies all the time. And that sense of loneliness is, is big. It's very big. And uh, that's why on your website, you talk about it in multiple spots about mentorship, you know, finding a mentor, finding a coach that can help you out. It really is very, very helpful. Well, Judy Sidecuse, CEO and managing partner of Capital Innovators, uh, I want to thank you so much for being our guest and sharing so many words of wisdom today. It's just been really amazing. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. And this is Leading from the Front. Thank you and be well. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com, S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.